Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. I'm honored to have as my guest today, Steve Prince. Steve, you're involved in a ministry called Warriors Set Free. Tell us a little bit about that ministry. Warriors Set Free is part of Set Free Ministries in Grand Rapids. Uh, We have three branches. One is the domestic, who we basically do biblical counseling, I guess the term is layperson to layperson. Nobody's sure. actually a counselor, but we lead people through a process called the Steps to Freedom in Christ is our, our core thing written by Neil Anderson. And it's a one-day spiritual basic training is the way, I, the way I describe it. But it's really taking Neil Anderson, who wrote it, took seven main topics. And instead of just telling you about them, we actually walk, walk people through doing what Scripture tells you to do. So I, I don't know, I think it's in James, it says, if you're a hearer and not a doer, you're a fool. Right. Well, the, the generic church model for most people is they go and they listen and they leave. And unless you actually do what your pastor, or what your church are telling you to do, then it's information that's not activated. So this process is, in my opinion, uh, and I'm biased, is the most powerful thing you can do for your faith in one day. We call it a freedom appointment. So Set Free Ministries does that for absolutely everybody. A man comes in, we sit him down with two men for the day. It's about a six-hour appointment. Um, A woman with two women, for us, if it's a veteran or a first responder, law enforcement, we want to sit them across from two veterans so that we can talk shop. We have similar backgrounds. We have similar lingo, outlook on life. And we can get into their deeper stuff because we've been there and and done that, you know, got the T-shirt, whatever. Um, but just even, you know, amongst the military, we have our own language. Um, one of the first guys we worked with, I, I refer to him as Sean Mower. And I, this is like my first week. I had no idea what I was doing. Met him at an Arby's in Coopersville. And I was just listening to a story. I brought my boss with me because I didn't know what to tell this guy. And I listened to a story, and uh, we had been in the exact same place in Iraq at different times. Okay. So he looked at me and said, you and I have chewed on some of the same dirt. I go, yes, we have. I said, and I, I trust this guy. And I pointed to my boss, Dean, and I said, you should listen to what he has to say. And then Dean talked about Jesus and healing and all that stuff because that, I didn't know what I was doing my first week. Right. So we've been doing this eight and a half years and just being able to pour into the lives of veterans and build their faith. And our mission is to guide them in building their faith, healing from the past, and winning life's battles. And it, at its core, it's discipleship. That's great, Steve. So you talked about three different branches. There's just kind of the standard set-free ministries. Yep, the domestic, okay. the warriors, and then we have an international. Um, in Uganda, mostly, we do some work in India. We have a little bit in Dominican Republic. But it's one of the other unique things about set-free ministries is we introduce a lot of people to spiritual warfare, especially in West Michigan. A lot of people aren't familiar with it, and uh, they think it's scary. But really, every thought you have, take every thought captive in obedience to Christ— even controlling your thoughts and knowing like, hey, the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy me, and God, Jesus wants me to you know, live abundantly, just knowing that, like you're in spiritual warfare, whether you admit it or not. And so talking to veterans and saying, hey, you're still in warfare, you still have a real enemy, the lights kind of pop on for them. But for everybody, if, if you're not aware of spiritual warfare, it's not you know, demons and exorcism, it's like take every thought captive, you know, Fulfill, fill your mind with scripture. Think about what is lovely, pure. You know, don't let the sun go down in your anger. All that spiritual warfare. And I grew up West Michigan, never heard of it. So we introduce a lot of people to that as well. 
So Steve, you said that you served. Uh, first of all, thank you for your service. Thank you. And when when did you enlist? What was your your journey like? I went to Jenison High School. I signed up February 10th of 1990. Uh, wanted some discipline and some college money. I, my recruiter said, there'll never be another ground war because everybody's got nukes. While I was in basic training, Iraq invaded Kuwait. So five months out of after I graduated high school, I was in Desert Shield in Saudi Arabia with no rank. I was E1, the lowest rank in the army. And um, Saddam was talking about hundreds of thousands of dead Americans. And I'm like, I don't know what the crap I'm doing. So chances are that's me. And uh, came home, uh, got shot at a little bit, came home in April, turned 19 in May. And really that changed my outlook on life. I'm like, I didn't expect to make it home. So everything from here on out's a bonus round. It really transformed how I view everything. Joining the army was the best mistake I ever made. It gave me more than I gave them. Discipline, opportunity, leadership, problem solving. It was a, a great life, but it was time to be done after 25 years and 10 months. And most of that time was Garden Reserve. So I was in West Michigan, you know, out of uh, 44th Street Armory in Wyoming. Uh, my last stint was through the Army Reserve teaching ROTC through Western Michigan University's uh, ROTC program. Go Broncos. So. so you said your first tour changed the way that you thought about a lot of different things. What was your faith journey like when you deployed? Um, I grew up in the church, so I live about a mile from Camp Geneva now. I, I accepted Christ when I was eight there, and, and all I really remember is, hey, pray this prayer and you go to heaven. Uh, if you don't pray the prayer, you're screwed, and you're going to end up in hell. And I'm like, I'll take that that Jesus thing. Was I'm eight, you know, you don't. That's all you really get so when you're eight. It was eight. easy choice. Yeah, it's like <laughs> uh, I'd be dumb not to do this, right? So it was there, and then, um, but you know, an, another thing that we get to do with discipling and, and pouring into to veterans. I was was on the phone with a vet on the way here this morning, um, just kind of talking about life with them. But that those relationships and the discipleship is what I was lacking as a child. Um, the biggest part of my testimony is my dad was in the Air Force uh, during Vietnam. He, he signed up. He spent his time in Omaha, Nebraska. When I was five, 1977, he committed suicide. I'm sorry. And so I was five. My sister was, I think, seven. And my mom was like 29. And so it's like this, the bottom fell out. And at five, you don't even really know. Like what, you know, I just know dad's not here and they told me he's dead. And so um, I kind of carried that, never really got counsel, never really got um, closure on that. And then when I was 30 years old, I was working for Youth for Christ. I had um, I had stayed connected with, with church and faith. My mom got remarried when I was 14. We went to Holy Cross and, and Jenison. I volunteered with their, their youth group. I was in Young Life all through high school. When I was in the Army from 97 to 2000 in Colorado Springs, I volunteered with Young Life, and I wanted to work for them when I got out. I got I felt called to get out of the military to do full-time ministry. Okay. I ended up working for Youth for Christ, um, assigned to Byron Center High School, and my wife started coaching uh, softball there. She still teaches there now. So that's that's been since you know about 2001, 2002. A key day for me was I was, my marriage wasn't very good, ministry wasn't good, finances were bad. Um, I had to fundraise. If I, didn't, if I didn't raise money, I didn't get paid, and, right. and it was terrible. So this guy, Dean, who's now my boss, is I'm kind of leaning on him, very wise man, and he says, have you ever forgiven your dad? And I'm like, dude, I'm 30. That happened when I was five. 
the problem right now is my marriage. I don't know why you're talking about my dad. Right. And he says, well, have you ever forgiven him? And I'm like, he doesn't deserve it. It won't improve our relationship. And I don't even know how to do what you're talking about. Right. So I'm like confused. And he says, well, you know, Matthew 18 says, since you've been forgiven through salvation, we're required to forgive others because we've been forgiven, not because they deserve it. I'm like, I don't even know how to do this. And prior to that day, I couldn't say the words, my dad committed suicide without tears, without emotion. So I didn't talk about it. I'd never talked about it. And so he's like, well, I agreed. Like, yeah, I should probably forgive him because you and the Bible are telling me to. And so he led me through that prayer. And like I was bawling and wailing before I got the first word out. And that prayer is, is right in the steps to freedom in Christ. It's step three. It's about forgiveness. And so him leading me through that was like exhausting, crying out of every hole in my face. Like it was, it was nasty. And then uh, just kind of repeated the words. And then half hour, 20 minutes later, I'm cleaning up and like trying to pretend like I didn't cry, even though I snotted all over the place. And I started to feel better. And I'm like, what is this? And he says, well, you're being obedient to what God called you to do. Now he can start to heal your heart. Mm. And that changed everything with my life again. Like, okay, being called to be obedient to what God calls me to do and not just a believer. My church in Colorado Springs had a, a phrase called a fully devoted follower of Christ. Yeah, I'm like, that's what I have not been doing. I also went to a Promise Keepers when I was in Colorado Springs and this guy at the end of a Promise Keepers weekend, you know, you're in worship, you're in scripture all weekend. At the end of the weekend, this guy starts presenting the gospel. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like, everybody here is a believer. Like, why are you doing this at the end? Admit you're a sinner. Believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. And then the C is normally confess your sinfulness. Well, he twisted it and said, commit your life to following Christ. Make him your Lord, not just your Savior, which is you can't have one without the other. Right. And I'm like, well, I've been saved since I was eight, but I've never really followed Jesus or did what he told me to do like and I'm a I'm a soldier I follow orders sure but not really acknowledging that Jesus wants to tell me how to live my life and I went forward like a new believer and I'm bawling again I cry a lot and I'm like all right now you're my lord what's that look like and that led into me doing more ministry and then when I was told like hey you're being a bad soldier by not forgiving like well I don't want that how do I how do I forgive and and looking back at what Dean did for me, and I latched on to him after that. He runs a Bible study. Like, he discipled me. Yeah. And as a church, we're called to, be, to disciple others. Well, you can't do that unless you've been discipled. Right. And so it takes those personal relationships of someone walking with you and saying, hey, Steve, what's going on? You right. know, something's, I know you. Something's not right. Tell me. And then talking it through to our most people. You know, I could guess a number, high 90% of people don't have that person in their life. Yeah. So they just, you know, buy something or exercise or they, they medicate their pain because they don't have a way to deal with it biblically. That's the void that we help veterans do is we're, we're in relationship with each other. I, because it's military, we, we had to create an acronym. So it's TRIP, T-R-I-P, like everybody's on it, their own faith journey is the phrase I think of with that. But it's truth, biblical truth, relationships, identity, and purpose. And if you get all four of those things solid, like you're living biblical truth, your relationships are healthy because you're doing nothing out of selfish ambition, 
you know who you are. Your identity comes from Christ, not from anybody else. And then what's your purpose? Why are you here? Who are you? And that's that one's easy, too. Like, I have a, a friend. He's the outgoing state chaplain for the George Army National Guard. He's a colonel. He's two ranks above me. And he goes, yeah, I just don't know what I'm going to do when I get out. And I go, oh, it's easy. He goes, what? I go, you're going to love God and love people. It's just a matter of who and where. Like, that's right. those are just details. Sure. Like, because you're a man of God, you're going to love God and love people. So... Steve, in your work, when you talk about those those four components, is there one of those that veterans tend to need more than others, or does it just depend on the individual and depend on where they are in their journey? It depends on on who they are and what they're doing. Okay. I have one buddy who's a very successful financial investor, and yesterday I had lunch with a guy who's facing prison. Okay. So it, it runs the gamut. Um, probably if I had to pick one, the most important, well, you can't really. Um, the truth sure. is knowing scripture and knowing like if, if I run into a, a fork in the road, which way do I go? Well, you're not supposed to guess. You're supposed to live the way that God commands you to live. Right. And self-sacrifice and, you know, choose the hard right over the, the easy wrong. And so if you're bathed in truth and you start to think the way that God wants us to be like Jesus— And as you consume truth, that influences your relationship. The identity piece, we have a bookmark. I brought one. Um, 33 verses of your identity in Christ. As soon as you're a believer, this is what's true about you. And I I do, you know, a little thing that you can't see. But I say, if you think you're terrible, worthless, and miserable, and you're, you're disposable, and you're like dirt, but God thinks you're, God knows the truth is that you're a son of God, he can't stop thinking about you. You're highly treasured, like you're a beloved son of God. We have differing opinions. One of you are wrong, and it's not him. So you're, you know, they say stinking thinking or whatever, but, you know, that solves a lot of the military issues with depression, anxiety, PTSD, suicide. Like, there's biblical answers for all those things. It's just the veteran community that isn't interested in faith. They're trying everything else. Gotcha. That's where we look at all these other veteran organizations. Go, I, I love you because you're serving veterans, but I cheat. I bring Jesus into it, and then we don't we don't lose. If you're a fully devoted follower of Christ who's got PTSD, Jesus wins over PTSD. He just does. No, it's so good to hear you say that. And it seems like at least again, how how is the way that veterans look at identity, or even active servicemen and women look at identity, different than maybe civilians look at identity? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, how you view yourself, and this is just general people. In general, men identify themselves by who they are, by what they do. Yeah. Like, I'm a, I'm a military ministry guy. Right. Women, the typical standard is their home and their family. Okay. My kids are the identity. In the military, one, they change your name based on your rank. Okay. Like, this is who you are, Private Prince. And then your uniform displays who you are. People can look at you. And back in the day when, when life was hard, we had to shine our boots. And you can look at someone's boots and know how professional they are, which is dumb. But if they spend, you know, 45 minutes a night polishing their boots, you go, okay, this guy's squared away. Yeah. And how you present yourself. And then your, your decorations and dress uniform, have you been deployed? Have you, have you seen combat? On our right shoulder, we wear a, we call it a combat patch. But a normal uniform for someone that hasn't been deployed only has their unit patch on the left. When you deploy on your right shoulder, you wear the patch for the rest of your career, the unit you went to combat with. 
And because of Iraq and Afghanistan, if you see somebody without a patch on their right shoulder, you just go, oh, you haven't been there. You haven't done that. So we judge each other quickly based on your military identity. There's a ranking system that's even invisible. You could be the same rank, but if this oh, yeah. person hasn't been deployed or they've only done one tour, this person does four, all, all oh, of yeah. those are layers that build into it. Yeah, absolutely. We, we had an event. There's a guy named uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, Christian guy, um, legend amongst military trainers. He wrote his books are on combat and on killing. We brought him to Grand Rapids to, to talk about PTSD, I think 2018. And a buddy of mine who was there, who was a big deal in the Air Force, kind of special forces type, uh, PJ, para-jumper, he came up to me and he says, there's a lot of tactical butt sniffing going on here. And I'm like, butt sniffing is like dogs, but guys will, walk, will have conversations and they'll drop code words. Like if you're talking to somebody and you're like, oh, you're in the Navy? He goes, yeah, I spent a little time in, in the teams. And the word teams means, oh, you're a Navy SEAL. But they won't come out and say that. And so it's like, yeah, when I was in the sandbox, you know, and you're saying, okay, I was deployed. Right. And it's so it's this. And and I go, you guys are all dumb. Like, this is this is silly. Like, there's there's value in that to them. But long term with veterans say that's who you were when you wore the uniform. Now you're a child of God. It's way more important than what you did in the military. Uh, but it takes them a while to go, okay, I'm not a Marine first anymore. I'm a child of God first who was in the Marines. Yeah. And that's the other thing. There are no former Marines. Once right. a, once a right. Marine, always. It's your lifer. Yeah, yeah. It's just one of those, one of those culture things. No, but it's so good to hear you say that, Steve, because I think that I, I, that's true in a lot of different industries, but it is, it's unique in the services, right? Because so much of identity is hierarchy and rank. And yeah. it's got it's got to be hard to kind of unplug from that because Jesus outranked everybody, but Philippians 2 says that he made himself lower than everybody. That's which right. takes the whole thing and flips it on its head. It does, yeah. And it's it's one of the hardest things for, especially an active duty guy to do, is to go from a battalion commander or a sergeant major one day, and then you they have a nice little parade, give you some awards, and then the next day you're asking Home Depot if you can run the pain aisle. And so losing that identity, that transition, a lot of guys are hurting pretty bad because everything they built up and believed in, unless their identity is in Christ, it's gone. Yeah. Like I heard um, Colin Powell speak at one point and he said, you know, I went from being the top guy, uh, secretary of state, you know, interacting with nations to walking down the street of DC and the the guy serving me a hot dog didn't recognize me. Like it's, you have, and that, you know, I'm, I'm not retirement age yet, but same with, with men in, in careers or anybody sure. retiring, like your identity better not be in your job because when that's gone, you're in trouble. There's one psychologist that I read and she says, this is valuable for both emotions and vocations. But she says, instead of saying like, I am sad, saying like, I'm observing that I'm having feelings of sadness. Cause she's like, you don't want your identity to be wrapped yeah. up in the emotion. Yeah. Same thing is true of the career. Like when I run into people, it's a little bit different with clergy, but not totally dissimilar. They're like, oh, I'm pastor so-and-so, I'm bishop so-and-so, I'm doctor so-and-so. It's like, no, just be you. Yeah. Cause right out of the gate, there's that posturing that like, yeah. I find my identity in my rank or in my education or in my achievements. And if we posture that right out of the gate, Wow. You talk about making sure that healthy relationships don't have like any hint of selfish ambition. The way that we look as rank or status for identity undercuts that from the get go. Yeah. So one of my techniques with that with guys and I'm I'm talking to Navy SEALs and Green Berets and like the gamut, like guys who are way cooler than me. 
And so I'd say, you know, once they start making movies about National Guard logistics guys, then you'll you'll want my <laughs> autograph. I'm going to write a book about, you know, doing maintenance in the motor pool of a National Guard unit in West Michigan. You know, they don't make movies about that stuff. Right. But when I kind of throw that out there about this is who I am, yeah, I'm National Guard, I'm part-time, and I'm transportation, which isn't sexy at all. And I go, you can have you can have the cool guy awards, but I know who I am in Christ. You can you can win the military battle. It doesn't matter sure. to me. Sure. And they they all love that, and then they kind of put their guard down. One of the first we, so we do the freedom appointment. We do a weekend called the Heroes Return, and one of our first Heroes Return weekends, we had civilian staff and military staff, and our goal was to create an all military staff. Yeah. And halfway through that weekend, I kind of got this download from God of like, don't ever have a military only staff. Really? Because it would create a civilian hate club. Hmm. Like, you can't get us. You can't, you don't understand us. You can't be a part of our team. Gotcha. To where these are strong Christian men who want to serve anybody that shows up to these weekends. Gotcha. And so our goal is to get these veterans to be like, my identity in Christ and loving another Christian man is way more important than a guy that wore the same uniform I was in that was in the same area that, that I was in. And I have, I have good friends from the military if I called them up and said, hey, what do you want to do tonight? We're making bad decisions. I have great friends who are civilians, who are Christians, and I call them up and they're like, man, how's your marriage? How's your heart? I love you. What's more valuable? It's right. those relationships in Christ for sure. So you've talked a little bit more. I know you touched on it briefly, but talk a little bit more about purpose. I have a, I have a friend who served uh, tours in Afghanistan, and he said that one of the things that just was so jarring for him when he returned was that immediate loss of community. When you're in combat, when you're life and death, high adrenaline, us versus the world scenario with a couple guys, you've yeah. bled, bled and lost some of those guys. He's like, I'll never, ever have that kind of community or again, at least that's his, that's his observation. Sure. That's, sure. that's his fear. T talk about how that's unique amongst veterans. Yeah. Well, and that hits relationship and purpose, right? right. That's and truth and identity, <laughs> right? Like see how it works. Yeah. I love that acronym and it's too good to be coming from me. So I think I give God credit for that one too. Everything really, but that, so that purpose and, and, um, it's just painful what veteran suicide is. And um, the number that the veteran community latched onto was 22 veterans kill themselves a day. And that's an old study. A, a more recent one came out because some states don't track suicides even by military status at all. The number's closer to 44 every day. And so when I look at, you know, we're fighting our nation's wars for things we really don't understand in areas where they don't want us there, but it's exciting and it's, you know, we're trained up to do these things. That's amazing. That's movies type stuff. But when you walk into the house of a friend who's drunk, he's got a gun in his hand and he's like, it's, I'm ready to tap out. And you get to enter into that place with him and say, man, I love you. We're not going to do this today. And I'm going to take care of you and I'm not leaving. Which one's more important? We're still saving lives. We're still on the front lines, but you have to, that's where with anybody that wants to get involved in us, I'll tell you how to do everything I do. Like, please help us. Please join us wherever you're at. And tons of testimonies, and it's God working in their life. I just get to be there. Another friend of mine, we're growing in Atlanta, in Georgia. We hired a couple people down there. And a friend of mine who runs a veteran organization came up to Michigan and did, did some ministry with us for him. He received it. And he's a big deal where he's at. I met his wife for the first time in December. And she made the connection that I was a part of her husband's spiritual growth. She went to go thank me and teared up. Couldn't even say the words. 
And she goes, you have no idea the impact that you've had on my husband, on my marriage, and on our kids. And I'm like, okay, that's worth everything. That is way more valuable than my paycheck. That's way more valuable than 25 years wearing a uniform where as soon as I leave, they forget who I am. Hmm. Now we have eternal rewards. We have eternal impact. We're literally changing. If, if we could, if Warrior Set Free through God's help or whatever ministry it is, could dramatically impact the spiritual health of Americans' veterans, these are some of our best and brightest and hardest working individuals. You want a re- revival? Change their hearts. They'll change their communities. You can't stop them. They'll change their workplaces, and we can win this country back. Like, we're on a downslide right now, and the military community can change it all. There's 18 million veterans. I work with a very small percentage of them. But if their faith is strong and they can, they can impact, they can go from crappy dads beating their kids and drinking too much to loving their kids and reading scripture with them and pouring into them and being phenomenal fathers, let's do that. I'd rather do that than get shot at and kill the bad guy for sure. Like <laughs> every day. So. A- a- absolutely. And some of the disillusionment that you hear from some of the veterans who, who did serve overseas is there's no guarantee that whatever hill you took or whatever city you liberated won't return to enemy hands in a decade or a generation. And so for you to be able to say, okay, we don't get any control over what the long-term outcome of our combat operations are, but the the relationship operations that you guys are engaged with, like we, those battles are winnable and nobody has to, nobody has to yield that ground after it's been taken. Yeah. And it's generational. Like another story, buddy of mine's name is Herb. I met him through some firearms instruction stuff we were doing and I was telling him a little bit about what we do. And he goes, hey, you need to work with my son. Will you, will you call my son? Son's not a veteran. Herb is. I talked to his son, got him connected with another group of guys. And his son's life turned around based on men who would pour into his heart. And it wasn't me. I made the connection. Well, that influenced Herb. Now Herb's involved in our ministry. And he's, he's on fire for Christ. He's going to retire, I think, from the power company in like October and wants to serve Jesus the rest of his life. And if, and if it wasn't for God orchestrating those relationships and those connections, Herb might be off doing something else, like dedicating his life to hunting or fishing or whatever the rest of his life. That's fun for me. That's way more important than, you know, getting shot at when I'm 18 and just, you know, sitting there going, man, I should be in college. This is stupid. Right. Right. So it's the, the glory of like, I was in a combat and I, 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 went there and I did that and they're making movies about the things that we did or they're writing books, whatever, like that is worldly value. And one of my verses I came across, everybody, a lot of people know Second Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. The verse before it, 5.16, says, from now on we view no one from a worldly perspective, mm. is the first half. And that says, we used to look at Jesus as just a man. I'm like, all right, we look at no one from a worldly perspective. So get rid of everything worldly. That's all your wealth, all your fame, all your accomplishments, all your height, because I'm 6'6". Six, six, I, I, you know, that's important to me. And I'm like, what do we got left? Just your spirit, man. Yeah. And when I'm going to a funeral tomorrow, and the only thing that matters about that, that man and everybody that, and we're all heading towards death. Bible says we don't get more than 120 years, right? At the end of your life, the only thing that matters is how you impacted the kingdom of God. Right. Because your kids will get your wealth and they'll put you in the ground and that's it. End of story. End of worldly story. Sure. 
And uh, I love how Francis Chan says he's working on his 401 capital K, you know, the kingdom rewards. Nice. That's where I'm focused too. That's great. Steve, for people who are listening who either are veterans or have friends of veterans or pe- people who have served who feel stuck or worst case scenario are, are in, a, in a really fragile place, yeah. where can they go for help? Reaching out to us is pretty easy. WarriorsSetFree.org, Facebook, YouTube. A lot of veterans, I had, I had a mother call me from, or her, huns, her son is in Chicago, and he's a vet, and I haven't heard from him. We can be praying for Dan. I'm sure there's a bunch of Dans in Chicago, right? I told her, I said, send him to our YouTube page. Just go to you know, YouTube, type in Warrior Set Free, because veterans want to know what they're getting into. We do research before we go in because sure. we don't want to get ambushed, right? right? So send them there. It's me talking about a lot of the stuff we do, and then you can call me. You can reach out to our office, and I'll, like with her son, like I'm not heading to Chicago anytime soon, but we'll, we'll do virtual meet and greets. Okay. We'll talk for a half hour if you're local or if, you, if you're in Georgia when I'm down there. My standing offer is as a veteran, I'll buy you lunch. Like okay. you deserve lunch. Sure. You need to know that I'm there to, to do business and dig into your faith. But warriorsetfree.org, Facebook, I think we have Instagram, Twitter, um, all that stuff. So, Steve, thanks so much for joining us today. Appreciate the amazing work that you're doing and look forward to seeing where it takes you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.